I find that the biggest the biggest challenge of Tishabov is how we visualize the Khurban. We have it Liayin Hara very good in the scholars. We're living in freedom and luxury. We have plenty of food. We have no shortage of Gashmias, Ruchnias, Liayin Hara. And yet here we are, year after year, mourning the Khurban Beis Hamikdash. And it's difficult for us to visualize exactly what our loss is. I saw a story once that in a certain sleepaway camp in the in the mountains, the counselors wanted to bring Tishabov to life for the campers. And they devised the following concept for the entire three weeks, every single bunk was designated a different part of the Beis HaMikdash to, to build, to make out of paper mache, out of wood, whatever it was. And so one bunk was in charge of making a menorah, and they put a lot of effort and kaychas and talent into that, and they made it so perfect, and then Another bunk was charged with making the Arin, and another one with the Shulchan, and another one making the the outside Mizbeach and the inside Mizbeach and the walls of the Vesa Mikdash, all out of paper mache, and they finally put it together on Erev Tishabov this afternoon, and and then the boys all went to Tavamincha and to, to eat the Sudam Afsekes. And unbeknownst to them, the counselors or some of them made a, like a, a zip line from the middle of this paper mache Beis all the way up to some tree. And on the zip line, they put some apparatus with like a fire contraption on it. And Tishabav night, after the kinnas, they all went out to this field where the Beis HaMikdash was, and they looked at it with such admiration, and they were singing perhaps al Nares Babel, and it was very emotional, and all of a sudden a counselor went up to the top of the tree and dropped this ball of fire, and it made like a beeline straight down to the middle of the Beis HaMikdash, and it burst up into flames. And all of the children started screaming because they felt acutely a korban, a personal korban. They personalized it. I don't know if that was the best idea. They, I think they still probably all need therapy to this day. But uh, but at least there was an attempt made at visualizing the Beis HaMikdash, at visualizing the korban of the Beis HaMikdash and what it, how it could affect us personally. But for us, it's difficult. It's a very big challenge. There are certain psukim and echa that touch us and that remind us and echo a chorban that we lived through, our grandparents, our parents, our great-grandparents. Not too long ago, 
and and that strikes a chord, no doubt. But for us, it's a difficult challenge. It's very, very hard for us to really get into Tisha B'Av properly. But we have to. That's part of our challenge. The challenge that we have every single year during the three weeks and the nine days and and Itzuma Shalyayim Tisha B'Av, this is something that we're expected to do. We're expected to be misabel on a building, on a structure that we have never seen and that our great-great-grandparents have never seen. And here we are, year after year, trying to muster some Adela, some Bechi, some Za'aka. This past Shabbos Hanukkah, my family was sitting around the Friday night Shabbos table and my mother, Zal Gesundsein, was our guest for Shabbos. She was there and we were singing a special niggin that yet is no, I know a few nigunim for this special zemer that's miyuchet for Shabbos Hanukkah. Some of the fancier zmiras, you'll find a zemer with Shabbos Hanukkah and it's attributed to none other than the Eben Ezra. So the Eben Ezra composed, some people say it wasn't really done by the Eben Ezra, but Anyway, as I state that it's attributed to him and it's a special niggin with a special words that are specifically designated for Shabbos Hanukkah. And all of a sudden, while we were singing this niggin, we heard fire trucks and they were coming very, very close to our home. And then we saw through the front windows of our house all of many, many blue and red turning sirens. All right, you hear them often, but here there was like a concerted amount of noise coming very close to my home. And a lot of fire engines and a lot of tumult, like you felt the tumult inside the home. And it was very cold out at night and I... I excused myself from the table and I ran outside and I saw that there was around the corner a lot of fire engines. The first thing that I thought of was that probably somebody's menorah tipped over in the, in the house, Rahman Litzlan, and something lit and a, a fire is, is burning in somebody's home. And when I turned the corner, the cross street of my house is on uh, Vlai. The lie is that diagonal block that runs across Main Street. Um, and we have, on, a, on that block, right by my house, there's a whole, like a, a whole line of stores, maybe 15 stores. And I've never seen a larger fire than the one that was shooting out of these stores. And there were hundreds of people and there were reporters and there were cops trying to keep people away from it. There were fire trucks. There were the store owners were being told and they ran to their store and the firemen were desperately trying to put out this fire, but to no avail. The more that they tried, the more the fires just continued to rage. There were many, many of these stores owned by Shemr Shabbos and 
my family patronized all of these stores came out. And it was a, uh, it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. You could still drive by it today and you'll see since Shabbos Hanukkah until today nothing has been fixed, nothing has been raised, nothing has been rebuilt. It still is that same churva. And you see all the stores that are gutted and, and boarded up. And these were stores that were owned by family members, by not my family, but people, family men, I should say, family women, people that were supporting families, mishpachas. And there were so many stores that we made use of. There was the dry cleaners, Chinese dry cleaners that was so convenient to have around the corner. We could just drop off our stuff and every hour of Shabbos, they would, like clockwork, bring all the suits and all of the, the dresses to our home. There was a pizza store, a kosher pizza store that my kids loved to just go on their own, have independence, and walk there and eat lunch there on Arab Shabbos and uh, Matzai Shabbos and Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. And... It was one of the, the rites of passage of being young to have that freedom to be able to go on your own to a pizza store and enjoy that delicacy, that experience. It was a grocery store, a from grocery store, and a, uh, a tandoori bread store. And there was a barber shop. Very nice barber who had just taken over that property less than a month ago before that fire raged and he put so much money into it and he had Saras before that fire and this was the last thing that he needed. And these were all stores that represented people trying to be methodist themselves, their families, providing services to the community. And it all went up in smoke. The churva, the devastation of that night is still with us today. It's with those people for sure. But on a much more trivial perhaps level, but a level. We had it so good. Now in order to get a haircut, I have to go elsewhere to get my clothes dry cleaned, we have to find another place. Pizza, there's no shortage of pizza stores on Main Street, but it was there was a certain convenience of having it right around the corner, the barber shop. We didn't realize how good we had it until after it was gone. Now you might think, these are minor inconveniences. And of course they are. But I want to use these establishments, if I may, and try to close your eyes, if you will, and try to understand what I'm saying. These services that were provided in a physical way were the services that the Beis HaMikdash catered to Klal Yisrael to on a spiritual way. And as... The Churban on Vlai Street exists to this day on many levels. The Churban of the Beis HaMikdash 
on a cosmic level is very much tangible if we're able to look at it from a personal standpoint. And let me explain. The Beis HaMikdash, and you'll pardon my pedestrian expression, the Beis HaMikdash was the ultimate dry cleaners. The Rabbi Niyayna says in Shari Tshuva, there are many, many levels to tshuva. The more tshuva that you do, the higher grade of tshuva, the higher the proximity that you are afforded to be back in the good graces of the Rabbi Nishleilam. It's true. Every single tshuva even the most benign tshuva gives us slicha, gives us a certain degree of forgiveness. But it's not enough to really be able to get out the stains of the sin as if they never existed. In order to really get out the stain of our Averis totally, a person needs to really cleanse his soul with tshuva, a real tshuva, a deep tshuva, a profound tshuva. Fortunate is the man who does not consider him as, as if he sinned at all. Like a garment that needs cleansing. The mushal that I always use every Elo when we learn this together is that if a person is, let's say, sitting at a table and he gets, a, a let's say, some uh, soup falls on his tie. So, what do you do? So, you could take some water and you could try to get the stain out and you'll be somewhat successful, but not totally. If you really want to, you know, go a step further, you'll take some club soda, some seltzer, and you'll rub that into your tie and that will get more out, but it will never be back to the way it was a few minutes ago. The only real way to get that stain out of the tie is by sending it to a dry cleaner. Cost a few dollars, but you get a tie back that's brand new. And Rabbi Yaina is saying that whatever you do is good. We do Averas, we have plenty of stains all over our begadim. How do you want to deal with those stains? You could deal with them in a, in a, in an amateur fashion. You take some water, you do a little tshuva, and that's good. Any tshuva is great, and it will provide some degree of cleansing. But the only real pure cleansing that you will be stain-free, avera-free, you'll be able to go up to Shamayim, without a single blot on your, on your record, is only if you send yourself to a dry cleaners. 
If you're able to go and really cleanse yourself, as we say in Zmira Shabbos, Friday night, Mechel I want to scrub my neshama like, like soap. I want to use a real detergent to get out my averis. That's the only real way to cleanse yourself. Tshuva is great, but the more profound, the more deeper the tshuva, the more that we'll be able to come to the Rabbi Nishlam sin-free. We know that that was what the Beis HaMikdash was. The Beis HaMikdash, with its karbanas, enabled us to go after we did an Aveir, whatever the Aveir was, there was a carbon to bring for that Aveira. And by doing so, we were able to come away from the Beis HaMikdash completely mechopar. We bring a carbon chatas, an asham, an oila, a shlamim, whatever, whatever the cause was, whatever the, the specific avera or mitzvah was that we have to do, the karbanes of the Beis HaMikdash provided complete kapara. We were able to walk out of the Beis HaMikdash knowing that our averas, our averas were gone. That our begadim were lily white. That's what we lost. That's what we're sitting on the floor for. We don't have that ability to dry clean our averas. We don't know. We do tshuva. We, do we know if their tshuva was, was good enough? We never will know. You do a tshuva. How do you know that that was all the tshuva? Well, I did, I did the three steps of the Rambam. I had vidu, I had charat ala'avra, kabbalah asid. Really? That's enough? Check out Rabbi Yaina's shari tshuva. You'll find 20 or more different yisaitis of tshuva that are gut-wrenching, that you will never know if you ever even touch the surface of tshuva in your life. So we're all walking around with stains because we don't have a Beis HaMikdash because our dry cleaner has burned to the ground. We don't know. We go up to Shemayim. We think we had a couple of Yom Kippurs and we did some tshuva. We did. Uh, we gave some tzedakah. We did this. We did that. And we think we're we're, we're sin free. Do we know? But when we had the Beis Hamikdash, the Beis Hamikdash provided us that guarantee that with the karbanis that were brought along with our tshuva, we're able to be fine. That's an amazing dividend that the Beis Hamikdash afforded us. That we will never ever be able to know until. The Bayashlishi is rebuilt. We'll never have that again. That cleansing, that perfection, that ability to breathe comfortably, knowing that we're that we're fine. We're good. The author from Slabaki used to say that in the famous piyot that we say on the night of the Lela Seder and the Haggadah of Dayenu that everybody knows, everybody sings, is probably the most popular part of the Haggadah for everybody. What's the climax of all of these steps? You go through all the steps of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Kriyas Yamsuf and uh, the Makis and Nechnisan Al-Eretz Yisrael, Matan Taira, Nasa Shabbos. What's the final step? 
What's the climax, the apex of all of, if you look at the Dayenu as a ladder, if you gave me this but not that Dayenu, but if you gave me that and not that Dayenu, what's the highest level? The last, the crescendo of Dayenu, says the Altar from Slabotka, Uvanu lanu esbeis habachira, l'chaper al kol He built for us a beis habachira. What was the tachlis of everything? The tachlis of all of the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Matan and Knisan Laretz Yisrael, all of that was for what? It was for one end goal, and that's to build us a Beis HaMikdash, for what? L'chapra al-Kala To atone for all of our Averis. We don't have that anymore, Rabbi Yisrael. We don't have that ability to cleanse ourselves anymore. We don't have that. That alone is enough to break our hearts. That fright of going up the Rabbeinu Shalom and not knowing what's going to be up there. We daven every day that we shouldn't have busha, we shouldn't have bizyanis. We go up to Shaman, you know the pachad of every single Aveira that we've done, small and large. All the issues that we all have, every single one of us, all of our Averis, we don't know, is it gone or not? I had a Yom Kippur, but what did that do? Was it enough? We'll never know. The Beis HaMikdash provided the guarantee, you bring a carbon, it's amazing, it's magical to be able to have no Averis because of the carbonus, because of the Beis HaBachirah. That's something that's, that's, we don't have that. We have Kaolim, we have Beis Yaakovs, we have Chadarim, we have pizza stores, we have falafels. We don't have that. That ability to be machaper, that ability to cleanse our Averis, that we know that we are sin-free, that we don't have. That's a tragedy. That's something that we have to cry over. I'll give you something else to cry over. The way I was describing the pizza store that burned down. That freedom, that happiness, that joy that children have to be able to go on their own, to have that independence, to feel good. That was Yerushalayim. Lahabdil. Yerushalayim, Bibinyana, was a city of pure happiness. We said this morning in the Shir Shalayim, Yifei Naif Misais Kalaretz. It had a beautiful vantage point, Yerushalayim. It's the Mesaisal Arts. It was the beacon of joy for the entire earth. You know, people say that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I've been to Disneyland many times, and I think it's the most miserable, depressing place on earth. Anyone that's been there, I think, can agree with me. It's just depressing. It's forced fun. It's standing on lines. It's people walking around with drumsticks of, you know, of, of dinosaurs or something eating it. I don't know what they're doing. But it's depressing. You walk out and it costs hundreds of dollars per ticket. It's like, it's not fun. Yerushalayim Bibinyana was the most happy, wholesome, joyous place in the world. It was so happy in Yerushalayim that Chazal tell us that if you wanted to do your taxes, you were not permitted to fill out your Paperwork for your 1099 or whatever it is in your Shalayim proper. There were booths, there were key places that were set up 
outside of the city limits. Do your taxes out there because it's depressing to to see how much you made or how much you didn't make or how much you have to pay the government. So you are not allowed to mar the joy of your shalayim by filling out your tax work inside the city. Get out. It's not for you. Any any sourpusses, any 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 miserable people need not come into your shalayim. This is a happy place. It was the joy of the whole world. Imagine a place that you could go that's really pure joy. Why was it so joyous in Yerushalayim? What were they giving out for free? So first of all, because like we said before, there was a kapara for all our virus. There's no greater happiness than Matzayim Kippur when we feel that relief and we feel that cleansing. That was a very big source of joy. But I'll tell you something else. What's the greatest joy in the world? Anyone that's learned Mesos Yisharim knows that the greatest joy, Ha'idun Ha'amiti, the greatest pleasure in life is what? Is to be Nenemizivashchina, to be able to radiate and to bask in the radiance of the Shechina of the Rabbi Shalom. That was Yerushalayim. That was the Beis Hamikdash. The Makim, the mother Lashrina. It was a place that was permeated with Kedusha Samakim. When you're in a place that has Kedusha Samakim, you have to be happy. That's joy. That's the Messiah's Kalaharetz. With the Chorban Beis Hamikdash, Rabbi Sai, all of that joy was gone. That's a Pasuk that we just learned in Eicha Perak Beis, Pasuk Tezayin. The Gayim were like astounded. When they saw Yerushalayim B'Chorbana, they said, is that the city that everybody used to say was the source, was the beacon of joy and beauty of the entire earth? This, this devastation, this place of utter destruction, this was the joy that they, that they spoke of? What are you talking about? Isn't that a tragedy? Isn't that something that should make us full of sadness on this day? That we lost a place of joy with all of the tensions in our life. Imagine being able to go somewhere and have pure happiness, have real true happiness. To feel joy like it should be felt, not the fake joy that we accept as a substitute Real Hashra Sashrina, real Eden Amiti. That was the base Hamikdash, the Binyana. And when that was destroyed, we lost that. So we lost the cleansing of the base Hamikdash. And we lost the joy of the base Hamikdash. These are such essential things that we need. The grocery store. And the bread store represents, of course, Parnassa, the ability to feed ourselves, to feed our families. We know how people struggle in this economy. Some people are very wealthy. And then there are people that Pasha can't pay their bills. The Parnassa is crushing for so many people. The mysterious nefesh that people have to keep Shabbos and Kashras and Chinuch with mounting bills and chayvus. 
That's a problem that we have in our Gaulus. But it wasn't a problem when there was a Beis HaMikdash. When the Beis HaMikdash existed, Bebinyana, we had the Shulchan with the Lechem Aponim, and Chazal tell us that that represented and that gave us the ability to mefarnes our families. That was the source of Parnassah that was given to us. Imagine if every single person had no worries in terms of Parnassah. They didn't have to worry about being unemployed. They didn't have to worry about being underemployed. They didn't have to worry about the chayvis. They didn't have to worry about what happens, how am I going to marry off my children? How am I going to pay my monthly mortgage, my credit card bills, my insurance? How am I going to do this? When the Beis HaMikdash was Vibinyana, the Lechem HaPonim, the Shulchan, gave every year that ability to have that Shefa, Brachan, and Hatzlocha in our Parnassah. I don't know if that meant that there was no Aniyim in those days. Mistama there were. But the vast majority of Klal Yisrael had that as a skula, which we don't have anymore. Isn't that a frightening thing that we lost our ability to have Parnassah and that we have to worry and that people have to go to sleep at night not knowing about where their next paycheck will come from. The barber, to me, represented the Gemara and Tainus. The Gemara and Tainus says that during the Beis Hamikdash. There was a system of haircuts that the Melech had, that the Kain Gadol had, that the Kain Hedget had. Melech mistaper b'chol yayim. Amazing. Every single day a king got a haircut. You'd wonder, like, uh, what can he cut already? Yesterday he gave him a, a triple zero. What's, what's, every day a haircut. Melech b'yafiyay sechazenayneim. A king has to be visible in all of his beauty. He can't have you know, five o'clock uh, shadow. Can't have everything has to be everything has to be perfect by a melech. A kayin gadol is mistaper me'erav shabbos le'erav shabbos once a week. A kayin hedget once every thirty days. This is the beauty of the yidden during the time of the Beis Hamikdash. The people of Yerushalayim were so beautiful. Eicha Yuam Hazav Eicha asks, how did the gold get so tarnished? Yermiah Melech goes on to describe how B'neitzien HaMesulam Mipaz they were more precious than gold, the beauty of the people of Yerushalayim were so beautiful, they were so valuable, they were so chashuv. If you did a shidduch with somebody from Yerushalayim, with a girl from Yerushalayim, the dowry was you put that girl on a scale, you measured her, whatever she weighed, and you have to give the family that amount of gold. If the boy was from Yerushalayim, then the boy would be weighed, and the girl would have to give that amount. Whoever was the Yerushalmi was worth their weight in gold, literally. That's the beauty of Yerushalayim. The beauty of the Anshe Yerushalayim. 
the chesed, the emuna. When we go to Yerushalayim today, there are still glimmers and there are still remnants of Yerushalayim. I was zaycha for some reason that I don't know to have been able to be in a shir of Rav Shlomo Zaman for his man in Kaltaira. They only allowed us to stay for one's man because it was like the last year that he was giving shir and a lot of people wanted us. So I stayed there for one's man. We learned makis. And Rav Shlomo Zaman was like the last vestige of Yerushalayim. That's not my quote. That's from Yaakov Kamenetsky. Yaakov Kamenetsky used to say to a, a son or a grandson of Rav Shlomo Zaman that every day I'm a spouse for your grandfather. And you think, you probably think that I, I'm a spouse for him in the bracha of Allah Tzadikim, but you're wrong. I'm a spouse for him in the bracha of Yerushalayim Yercha. Because Rav Shlomo Zalman is the, the beauty of Yerushalayim is personified in Rav Shlomo Zalman. With his smile, with his chain, with his brilliance, with his ga'inus, with his with his Kedusha, with his Tara, he was like the last vestige of Yerushalayim. But that's gone. That's gone. We lost that barber. We lost the Yaifi of Yerushalayim. We lost the beauty of how Yidin used to look. I'm not saying that there is no, no Yidin in Yerushalayim. That would be a terrible thing to say. There's real Jews in Yerushalayim. I remember one night I was up very late at night and I couldn't sleep. And I was I was in Shari Chesed, so I went to the Grashul. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And it was it was empty, the Grashul. That's where Shlomo Zaman used to daven. And all of a sudden, at like maybe 3.30, there was an old Chavrusa shop, two very old men. And one of them was completely blind. And the other one was teaching him Gemara, but he knew the Gemara better than the other one did. And they were learning Bamelus, 3.30 in the morning. For me, it was a novelty. But they did this every night. These are Amalaga Yidin. These were Yidin that used to be in Yerushalayim. Maybe they still exist today, possibly, probably, maybe. But it's a dying breed. But when Yerushalayim, when the Beis HaMikdash was with Binyana, Anchi Yerushalayim was all like this. They were people, whether they were old or young, whether they were men or women, whether they were whatever they were. If they were Anchi Yerushalayim, they were Kedoshim Utahirim. They were Mesulah Mipaz. They were the Melech B'yafes HaChazena They were people of great beauty. Not just external beauty. Internal beauty, real people, real people, real Jews, Jews that meant it, Jews that davened, Jews that had emuna, Jews that learned, and they meant it, and they felt it, and they they radiated it. That was also a chaluk of the base of mitzvah that we don't have today. This is something that we have to perhaps allow to sink into us on Tishabov. And maybe take a walk past the Khurban on Vly Street and look at the stores that I'm telling you. And maybe that will send us each enough, each and every one of us. Make it real to us. The barber and the pizza store and the laundromat 
and the grocery and the bread store, all of these that provided very material matters for our life, and they're burned to the ground. That's what the Beis HaMikdash was on a cosmic, holy, spiritual level. Each and every one of those types of establishments represented another facet of the Beis HaMikdash. And there are many, many more, but just for the tachlis of somehow wrapping our mind around what the Churim Beis HaMikdash should mean to us a little bit, the Zerampin, this might be a first step. Let us personalize the Churban. And Chazal guarantee us that if we're able to personalize the Churban, if we're able to feel and be misabel al Yerushalayim, it's hard to be misabel for 25 hours. But if we're able to just be misabel right the second, think about what we're talking about. Think about the lack of, of kapara. Think about the lack of parnasa. Think about the lack of yaifi. Think about the lack of simcha, of sasan, of joy. These are, these aren't extra credit things. These aren't luxuries. These are basic necessities that a yid should need and demand. And we don't have them. As great as the scholar is, we don't have any of the above. If we do, they're very, very, very minor traces of what the real thing is. And if we can miss Abel even for seconds, even milliseconds on Tisha B'av, an hour Golos, then we'd be able to be Zaycha Vareya Ben Echemasa. You know, Yermiah Navi, the Medrash says, told Klai Yisrael after they were crying after the Churm Beis HaMikdash, he said to them, listen, I warned you. Echo was written before the Churban. This is something that all of the, the Nevuas of Yermiah was, was given before the Churban Pashtus. And I warned you, says Yermiah Navi. You didn't listen to me. Yermiah Navi says the Medrash looks at Klai Yisrael and says if you would have even shed one tear before the Churban Beis HaMikdash, there wouldn't be a necessity to cry all the tears that we're crying now after the Churban. A tear in the right place at the right time is able to mitigate so many tears later. One tear, one essential, real, pure tear that we could somehow elicit from our eyes on Tisha B'av. It might be tonight, it might be tomorrow during Kinnis, it might be during the laning tomorrow, or by a mincha, whenever. One pure tear. You don't know how much that would do. That could bring the Churban to an abrupt end, and it could be the turning point in Klai Yisrael's long and bitter history of Gaulus. One tear. One pure tear being misabel over the things that we need, that we miss, that we lack, could change everything. <laughs>